Hey guys, I hope you are enjoying the summer so far. I am in the middle of an incredibly busy season here in Martha's Vineyard, but I'm truly loving it, even though it's a lot of time on the court. This week, I got to talk with Will Bocek from the Tennis Tribe and the Doubles Only Tennis Podcast. We had a great conversation about doubles. Will is a numbers guy, an actual mathematician who loves doubles and has dedicated his tennis coaching career to analyzing the game of doubles. He shared with us the biggest misconceptions about double strategy, his favorite stats to look at and use when coaching, and his all-time favorite drill for improving volleys. We also discussed how college tennis has devalued the game of doubles and how professional doubles simply has a market and issue. This and so much more on this episode of Vita Tennis. Get ready to learn from one of the best out there only here at Vita Tennis. Hello, everybody. Welcome to Vita Tennis, the podcast for those of us who eat, sleep, breathe tennis. I'm Jennifer Gellhouse, and today I'm talking with Will Bocek. <laughs> Did I say that Perf- right? Perfect. You got it. <laughs> Thank you. He is the founder of the Tennis Drive, which started in 2016 as a doubles blog. And today it has grown into a website with tennis gear reviews, professional tournament guides, and the Doubles Only Tennis Podcast, where he interviews top coaches and players. Will has specialized in double strategy for the past half decade and works with double players from club level all the way up to ATP and WTA. He has worked with top 10 doubles teams at all four majors, the WTA Finals and Indian Wells. He also specializes in tennis gear, testing out the latest rackets, bags, shoes, and more to provide recommendations for club level players. Welcome, Will, to Vita Tennis. I'm so excited to talk with you today. Awesome. Thank you for having me. I'm really excited as well. And that was that was a great intro. <laughs> <laughs> no, we were just chatting and and you, you mentioned that you have a marketing background. Is that is that what you studied in college? Not really. No, I majored in math in college. So uh, yeah, so that's kind of related to some of what I do now. I'm I'm pretty into the analytics side of our sports with a focus on doubles, and that's how I help pro teams out. But I worked for a, a marketing company for a while, for about three years after college where I learned how to build websites and and just kind of generally do online marketing. So we we did marketing for dental practices, actually. So we would have dentists come to us who needed a website and we would build them a website and get them kind of a local reputation online through Google reviews and, and things like that. And eventually I, I quit that company and started doing some freelance marketing on the side, building websites for clients. And then I slowly transitioned into tennis full-time. So now I do have my own website where I focus a lot on doubles. That probably takes up 95% of my time, but uh, I still do run a a kind of side marketing business where I build websites for uh, tennis businesses, whether it's uh, an academy or a club or even a podcast, you know, whatever it might be and help them generate new clients or new students, things like that. Ah, very cool. And at what point did you realize that you wanted to to stay in tennis and to do coaching? Yeah, so, so I grew up playing tennis a lot, kind of burned out going into high school when I was maybe 13 or 14, and then picked it back up in college. I actually played for a small Division three school in Alabama, and... After college, I didn't play a lot. And then when I moved to Austin, Texas, I used tennis as a way to meet people. So I joined some USTA leagues and tournaments and uh, started playing a lot. And the majority of, of club players are playing doubles, right? So I mm-hmm. I was just fascinated. I, it was my first time to really study doubles and I was just fascinated by the strategy. So I started trying different things like poaching on certain balls and, and just noticing like, Oh, when I do that, the opponent seems to do this. So then I can like kind of manipulate the point and manipulate the direction they're hitting. So I started writing a blog post and started a double strategy newsletter that's been going for about seven years now that comes out every Thursday. And 
I had just asked friends of mine around Texas to join. I said, hey, can I add you to my doubles newsletter? I just write about strategy every Thursday. And they were like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then I started having people come up to me in tournaments, you know, in, in other cities. I was living in Austin, so I'd be at a tournament in San Antonio and they'd come up to me and they'd say, hey, I'm on your doubles newsletter. It's really <laughs> good. Like, I like it a lot. So that's when I first realized like, huh, like maybe I can kind of follow this and turn it into a business. And then from there, I started the podcast. Eventually, I started studying doubles data at the pro level and reached out to some pro teams and did some kind of free consulting and then eventually got paid for some of that work. And now I have some ebooks on my website. I'm still doing the podcast. I've been fortunate enough to interview some of the best doubles players in the world and, and some of the best doubles players of all time and, and just learned a ton. And I, I feel like I'm still learning. I feel like every year I'm I'm kind of tweaking my approach to double strategy, both how I teach it and how I play as well. Did you ever coach at a club or anything like that? Not, I, I didn't coach at a club, like in a traditional sense. I would pick up like lessons here and there, but I, I never was full-time employed at a club or an academy. So I, when I worked for the, the dental marketing company, I really figured out how to create content and create websites online and realized how scalable that was. So that always attracted me um, to be able to kind of get content out to, you know, hundreds or thousands of people at a time. Um, but over the last year or so, I have started getting back onto the court and teaching on the court a little bit more because I do miss that kind of person-to-person connection a little bit. So I, I helped out with a high school team in my area over the past year as well, which which was a lot of fun. Oh, that's cool. So what is the demographic you work with most? So for the website and, and people who are subscribed to the newsletter or listen to the podcast, it's mostly club-level players typically 3.0 to 4.5 on the USTA rating scale or the NTRP. So, so that's the majority of people who are listening to the podcast. When I do kind of consulting or analytics services, it's, it's for higher level players, obviously. So I'll work with Division One college programs as well as pro players, like you mentioned in the intro. So I've worked with players at, at the majors, the WTA finals, which was here in Fort Worth, where I live now last year. So, so a lot of the analytics work is, is with the higher level players. That's very cool. So take us through that process. How does that, how does that work? What does that look like? Are you watching matches and, and tracking point play? Yeah. Yeah. So it's, it's really cool. If you're, like I said, I majored in math, so I kind of like numbers and I like, I like things that are, are very objective, right? So when you're playing a doubles match, a lot of people might say like, oh, it's better to serve down the tee in doubles. Well, I want to see like evidence for that. So I want to see, you know, a thousand points where a team serves down the tee and a thousand points where the team serves wide and figure out how many points out of those thousand did they win when they served down the tee versus wide. So that is all trackable through a process called match tagging. So I use a company called Tennis Analytics, who's also kind of a client of mine. So I built their website and I'm friends with the founder, Warren Pretorius, who would be a great guest on your podcast as well. So, so his team tags the matches. So they'll take five to 10 matches from a particular doubles team that I submit to them and they'll take the video and they'll tag the matches and get all the data for me. And then I go through and analyze the data and I can watch the match video to go along with the data as well. So I can see you're winning, let's say, 65% of points when you're using I formation in the deuce court, but you're only winning 55% using regular formation in the deuce court. So you need to use more I formation. You know, things like that that we're able to tag and track. And because I'm pointing to the data, it's kind of objective and you can't really argue with it. It's the numbers kind of speak for themselves. And then from there, I go to the match video to figure out, okay, why is the eye formation working so well? Is it because you like your backhand better than your forehand and you're able to shift over to the ad court and rally from there? Or is it 
the your serve is very difficult to to redirect down the line or something like that. So then that's when kind of the tennis artistry, I guess, comes into it where it's a little bit less objective. But that video is super, super important as well. So cool. I I'm sorry to say I don't watch a lot of doubles. I watch when I watch like always watch singles, but I'm I'm coaching doubles all the time and I love now playing doubles. I didn't love it all all throughout my junior career or even in college. I wasn't a big fan. (laughs) Honestly, it was because I didn't understand it. And Mm -hmm. coaching pushed me to to really know my stuff because now you're teaching this. You got to be able to explain it and, and help people out. So that's mm-hmm. why having to coach it made me a better, made me a better doubles player. I like, I mean, definitely for sure. But what do you think are the biggest misconceptions uh, based on what you just said that you like to look at the numbers? What are some of the major misconceptions that you see? Some of the big ones, I mean, the one I already mentioned, so like serving down the T is better. Uh, I'm going to eventually write a blog post on this because I've got the data for it. But what I find with most teams is they actually serve less out wide, but they have a higher win percentage when they serve out wide. So that's that's definitely one that comes to mind. It, it is player specific. I will for sure come across some players who perform better serving down the T. Another one, you know, the common ones at the club level are you know, people covering the alley too much, which I'm sure you teach a lot in your lessons. They cover the alley too much. So I have, I have this issue sometimes when I play with a new partner and I've gotten better at kind of, you know, your doubles partner doesn't like when you coach them typically, but I've gotten better at wording things in the right way so that uh, my partner doesn't cover the alley too much. But what happens a lot of the time is, a particular player has trouble holding serve and they keep getting broken. And then after the match, you'll hear, you know, I've spoken with players at USTA tournaments about this and they'll say, Oh yeah, my partner just couldn't hold their serve. And then I watched the match and they don't help them at all at the net. Yeah. So they're staying, they're standing all the way. They're standing closer to the singles line than they are to the center service line. So of course their partner's having trouble holding serve. The return has the returner has this huge window to hit into because the server's partner is standing in the doubles alley. So they have an easy wide open cross court return to hit into. So what needs to happen is they need to shift. Typically, if you're going to play regular formation, just stand right in the middle of the box, especially on first serve. So Look to your left if you're in the or serving to the deuce court. Look to your left. Look at the singles line. Look to your right. Look at the center service line. They should be the same distance from you. If in some scenarios, if it's maybe three o three five, your partner has a super weak second serve and the opponent's stepping in and ripping forehands down the line, there are some, but it's very rare. Some scenarios where it's okay to cover the doubles alley to force them cross court just so you stay in the point. But that's only going to be on second serves. But in general, almost everyone is too conservative with their positioning and their movement at the net. So I I think knowing that can help you kind of shift your mindset and be more aggressive. And then once you do it, you'll realize, oh, they go down the line five times. They only make one or two of them. So I'm winning, you know, 60% of these points and I'll, I'll take that every day. So I think that's probably the biggest one as far as club level goes. Yeah, I mean, I teach that all day. I think part of it is because people hate getting passed down the line because mm-hmm. it, it makes them look bad. But if yeah. they don't get a poach, it doesn't make them look bad because that's not supposed to be their ball, you know? So right. it's, yeah, it's a tricky one to to convince people. Like, you don't need to be all the way out by the singles line. You need to yeah. pinch the middle a little bit more. Um, right. But so most of the things that you're working with are on a professional level or I guess you're working with both. Right. You're working with because it's mm-hmm. so different. And and that's kind of what I want to kind of go into is what are the main differences that you would you would give this advice to a high level player, but maybe the opposite advice to a club level player? Yeah. But before I get to that, mm-hmm. I want to close the gap kind of on the the covering the alley thing you mentioned. So yeah. 
So you're right. One of the reasons people have trouble with it is that they, they feel like they maybe let their partner down or, you know, when they get beat down the line, but, but they're really as a team thinking about it the wrong way, right? They're thinking about it. Like I need to cover my half, you cover your half and that's how doubles is played. But that's obviously yeah. you, you and I know that that's not true. So what I've found can be really helpful for people who are just starting out to try to do this. If you're playing with either a new partner or even an existing partner, you can tell them before the match, hey, I'm really aggressive at the net. But what I find is every time I get beat down the line, I'm also able to get a volley that I put away and the opponent misses more down the line than they make. So I'm aggressive, but it tends to work. So I am going to get beat down the line some. And if you tell them that before the match, then they're okay with it. But if you wait till the match happens and then they find you getting beat down the line, that's the one they're going to remember. And they're going to tell you, Hey, cover your alley. Hey, cover your alley. Um, so that's so good. good. (laughs) Yeah. So I I think if you can talk about that a little bit before the match, I think that helps a lot, but differences between pro and club level. So the pros don't have a problem typically with, with being aggressive at the net. Like we're talking about with the pros, it's the margins are just so small that I really have to dive a lot deeper to find opportunities to improve. So for if I go watch a a club level match, I can watch a game, maybe two, three, four, if so that they're in all four positions, server, returner, servers, partner, returners, partner, and and watching all four players serve. And that's probably all I need to tell somebody three things they can improve, right? Whereas at the pro level, I can watch a whole match and not be quite sure what they can improve on, right? So I really have to have the match data and the matches tagged so that I can dive in and see, okay, their forehand return is maybe 5% worse than their backhand return. That's not something I'm going to be able to tell with my eye. So I need the data for that. Whereas at the club level, a, a player's forehand return might be 40% 40% worse. So it's very easy to tell, you know, they keep missing their forehand returns or they have to chop at it because they don't know how to come over the ball or, or whatever it might be. So that's the biggest difference, I think, is just the the margins are so much smaller at the the highest level of the game. So it's it's a lot more difficult to kind of diagnose any opportunities to improve, if that makes sense. Yeah, no, that makes total sense. And what about college tennis is that somewhat closer to pro or is it totally different because from what i have seen to Mm -hmm. me at least in my experience college at least women college doubles is very different they they stay back a lot more Mm -hmm. (laughs) a lot longer at the baseline there's a lot more baseline rallies and you know there are some other differences but obviously i want to hear from you so what your thoughts are (laughs) Yeah, no, I agree with you. Yeah, college tennis is not the same as as pro. And yeah, definitely on the women's side as well. I feel like because college tennis has is, is kind of devalued doubles so much in their scoring system, I mean, mm-hmm. it's only worth one point. You're only playing one no-add set each. I feel like, I don't know this for sure, but I feel like coaches probably spend less time on it maybe than they used to. In Division three for me, each doubles line was worth one point. So we were playing best out of nine instead of seven. So it was a lot more valuable if you could get a sweep in, in doubles than that. That was three points rather than just one. So I feel like the net play, which, you know, is, is a big part of doubles, obviously, just isn't there at the college level. Um, there's they'll use some eye formation, but they're not really using it in the right way all the time or if they're using regular formation, you'll find them a lot of the time shifting over towards the doubles alley, like we talked about earlier. So they make a lot of the same mistakes that you'll see club level players make because, you know, they're spending 95% of their practice on singles. So they're going to be much more comfortable just at the baseline, you know, grinding out rallies from back there rather than getting to the net and finishing points off up there. You mentioned something that kind of sparked my interest. You said that college tennis has devalued doubles and it has and you know what I just went to the NCAA tournament in Orlando because I live in Tampa Florida so it's it's right there I love going and and 
you know, feeling that college atmosphere is so fun. And you know what? It's funny because the most fun, most entertaining part to watch is the doubles. When they go yeah. into the singles, it's like they spread out. You yeah. can't keep up with what is happening because there's six lines. It's it's a lot yeah. to, to keep track of. When they're playing doubles, it's like the whole team is right there. There's a lot of energy. It's really fun because, you know, the courts are next to each other. So it's kind of sad. I never thought about it in that sense. I just I just had this thought that mm -hmm. it's sad because the I guess the reason for shortening doubles in college was to make it more watchable for TV. I mean, that's what I've heard. But yeah. the doubles, the, the doubles for college, because it's a team based sport, is a lot more entertaining. So yeah. 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 <laughs> It makes sense. It's yeah, it's another side of kind of what I'm trying to do with Tennis Tribe is, is make doubles more popular. So you said at the beginning, like you you have trouble watching or you mostly watch singles on TV, but it, it's kind of hard to find doubles on TV. Like I've been watching Wimbledon, yeah. you know, the past week and a half and it, you have to have ESPN plus, which it's not very expensive, but it's it's something like you have to sign up and it's like eight dollars a month or something. And I really encourage people to sign up for like either do a free trial or pay the $8 for a month and then cancel a month later just to to be able to watch the doubles because it is so exciting. In the college atmosphere, it's it can be even better because like you said, it's a team environment. You've got all three courts like right next to each other and the the players at the college level get so much more pumped up than they do at the pro level. I guess it's, I don't know, I don't know what it is, but there's something about the college atmosphere that's like, yeah, they, they just, it's come on after every point as loud as they can, you know, regardless of how the point was won. Whereas the pro level, it's not like that. And I've interviewed on, on my podcast, so many players, mostly doubles, but singles players as well, who have said, like, I don't understand why doubles isn't more popular. Some of my favorite, favorite tournaments or favorite events have been in doubles, especially the team aspect. And you've seen, you know, Labor Cup the last five years has done pretty well with the doubles. And World Team Tennis is something that I don't think is happening this year, but that format was a lot of fun and that had a lot of doubles. So hopefully, you know, over the next five or 10 years or so, they figure out a, a marketing strategy for it on, on the pro tour as well. Yeah, I think, I mean, I think for college tennis, it makes a lot of sense, like you said, because of the team aspect. It's a little mm -hmm. bit harder on the pro tour because the big names are the singles guys. And like, usually those are the guys you end up watching on TV. Um, mm -hmm. But watching professional doubles is incredible. I mean, they're so good. They, mm -hmm. I mean, they're so good at the net. Yeah. You think the point's going to be over and it just keeps going. Yeah. So there's, there's definitely, definitely good entertainment. It's just maybe names that you don't really recognize and yeah, yeah i don't know yeah yeah i feel like that's a lot of that's a marketing problem i i had a bunch of conversations about this during indian wells because i was i went to indian wells for for five or six days this year and the doubles courts during you know late week one early week two you couldn't get a seat like they were totally packed out even some of the matches weren't even like big names. Like obviously there was a match with Coco Golf and Jessica Pagula. Obviously that one's going to get a huge crowd, but there were some, it was like Mektic and Pavic against, who was it? Gonzalez and Roger Vaselin, who's like all doubles guys at this point. And, and even that one was totally full. And, and I think since you said like a lot of the singles names are, are the ones who, are the stars, right? The reason for that, I feel like, is they're just marketed more heavily. So if you like walk around the grounds at Indian Wells or here at the WTA finals last year, or you know, US Open coming up in a, a month or so, you're gonna see all the banners. It's just all the singles players, right? Like yeah. a lot of for the casual fan, they might not even know that doubles is going on at the tournament. So like if if they could get a little bit of that marketing budget towards the doubles, some of those players, some of those teams might become more popular. We don't know because they don't have the same marketing budget or the same uh, kind of effort behind them. So so it's kind of tough to say. No, that makes total sense. That's the same same kind of argument that we give for women 
women's sports versus male sports. It's, it's a marketing thing too. So I, that makes total sense. That doubles yeah. kind of takes the back seat, you know, when it comes to to that. But um, mm-hmm. getting back into the coaching side a little bit, what about differences amongst uh, men and women's doubles? Are, does anything come to mind strategy wise? Let's let's stay let's stay with club level, I guess. Mm-hmm. So club level. Once you get to the little higher level club level, like four, five, five, zero, you'll see a lot more of the men serving and volleying and, and coming to the net more. Whereas the the women's doubles will be more one up, one back. I feel like at it, it 3-0, 3-5, and 4-0, both men and women are, are playing mostly one-up, one-back. I find, you know, a, a lot of this stuff is just from me watching. And, and like I said earlier, I like things that are objective. So I, I don't know this for sure, but but what I find is a lot of the women are better at actually hitting lobs than the men are. And the men underutilize the lob and try to, hit the ball too hard in a lot of cases. And, and yeah. in, in, in a lot of cases, they try to hit the ball hard when they're off balance or out of position and they should be playing defense and they need to add the lob to their game. So that's one area where I feel like men should definitely improve. It's something I've added to my own game over the last five years or so is the lob, especially on the return. And that's super effective. And then... um Obviously, the, the serves are different, and that's at every level of the game. In general, the, the men are going to have a little more powerful serves than the women are. Uh, but other than that, like uh, all of the same rules kind of apply. You want to make a high percentage of first serves and doubles. You want to be aggressive at the net, cover the middle area of the court. Yeah, whether it's men's, women's, or, or mixed, it's, it's all pretty similar. Yeah. And what about mixed doubles? Are you a fan what are your feelings about mixed doubles? Because it can it can vary. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No. I, yeah, I love mixed doubles. I'm actually in. Uh, I'm on two ten o mixed doubles teams right now, and one nine o mixed doubles team that I'm, I'm captaining right now. So I, yeah, I love mixed doubles. I think it's a lot of fun. I feel like it's you know the the men's leagues I've played in. I can't speak for the women's obviously, but the men's leagues I've played in, a lot of them are you know you show up, you play your match, and then you go home. But the mixed leagues have a little more like social element to it for me, which I, I find a lot of fun. And then creating the the contrast of styles is, is a lot of fun too. So in in men's, you know, I'm I'm a five zero player. I'm never playing with a 4-0 player in men's doubles. But since I'm playing in this 9-0 league, I'm playing with a 4-0 lady. So I have to figure out, I have to like solve that problem of like, okay, how do I, without taking too much risk, you know, cover a significant area of the court, put her in the best position to uh, succeed as well. So that the opponents, you know, they're, they're going to try to pick on her. So how do we solve that problem? And it's a lot different than in, in men's or women's doubles. So, so some of the partnership dynamics definitely change as well. Definitely. And I know at least at a country club level, it's like the men are always afraid that they're going to hit the girl <laughs> at the net. Yeah. Um, well, I mean, I don't know. Maybe it's different for different areas or different levels, but most of most of the girls I'm playing against in, in the nine o and ten o leagues, I mean they're they're good. Like you know, I can hit, yeah, yeah mm-hmm. like I ha- I have to hit it hard at them at the net to to get it by them because they'll they'll get it back. So obviously, you know, if if you have an easy ball right on top of the net and you can hit it away from the opponent, that's the the kind thing to do. But sometimes if you're like on the full stretch and all you have is the opponent is the target, I mean it's 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 kind of part of tennis. So that's I what know. I think. <laughs> No, that's what I say yeah. too. And, yeah. I, and I ask that because my husband doesn't particularly like playing mixed doubles because he's afraid of like that he's going to hit the girl. And I'm like, hey, like it's a game. You're not going to be aiming for them, you know, but if it happens, yeah. it's part of it. But that's how I take it. I know some, I don't know, I've I've met some women that do take offense to it. So it just kind of depends on the, yeah. in the level. Like the levels have to be close. Like if the guy's too good, maybe it's a little bit, yeah. Dangerous, you know. Um, yeah, I I had somebody complain to me when I was rated a four five. I, I was playing eight o mixed, and 
I did one time have somebody complain to me, but but I wasn't like hitting them. I guess they were just complaining that uh, they weren't a particularly good team. But anyways, <laughs> yeah. See, that's funny. But when you're when you're teaching, do you like to use any stats? I'm, I know you say you love stats, but is there any that you usually like your go-to stats for let's let's stay with recreational players mm-hmm. yeah so i i follow craig o'shaughnessy a lot so he's got a website called brain game tennis and he he lives in austin as well so i met him there and then still help him a little bit with his website and he he's a big stats guy and he has tons of data on singles as well as doubles and he's taught me a lot in terms of stats, but some of the the big ones that, that he talks about that I use myself as well. One of them is that the the number one player in the world wins around 55% of their points. So that when I first heard that, that kind of surprised me. I would have guessed like Djokovic is winning, you know, 65 or 70% of the points that he plays, but that's not true. He only wins 55%. So that means if he's playing like an 11 pointer, he wins 11 to nine, you know, like how close is that? And he's yeah. the best player on earth. So, so that's, that's one that I definitely mentioned from time to time. Some other ones for, for doubles specifically, one is first serve percentage. So in, in singles, your first serve percentage is between 60 and 65%, but in doubles, you want it to be a little bit higher around 65 to 70%. And the reason for that is you don't need as many unreturned serves in doubles because you have your partner there at the net to clean up any weak returns. So in in singles, I can just chip the return back high over the net, deep in the court to get in the point and get it started. But in doubles, if I do that, assuming your partner's good at the net, they're going to make me pay for that. I'm not going to be able to get away with it. So you'll see at the pro level, the doubles players will have a lot more spin on their first serves than the singles players will. The singles players are hitting a lot more flat serves going for the corners. The doubles players will sometimes even hit a kick serve for their first serve or a, or a hard slice down the tee on the ad side, things like that. So there's, yeah, there's, there's a lot of data out there. But those are a couple that, that come to mind. Yeah, that's a great one. The one you said about the 55% <laughs> of points. Yeah. Because it it kind of makes it okay in your mind to lose points because mm-hmm. people get frustrated and it's like sometimes we can't handle missing a few times, you know, we start losing it. It's like it's gonna happen. It's a game of errors. You have to be right. to, to miss and, and to get beat at times. What matters is that you're winning some and that you're winning the important points. So right. that that's a real eye-opener, actually. Yeah, like, it is. I feel like that helps with getting beat down the line too, right? Like if if you can be more aggressive at the net and allow your opponent to beat you down the line and just keep kind of a mental tally, as long as they don't make more than two out of five, you know, if they make two out of five, then you're winning 60% of those. And that's a really high number. That's more than Djokovic wins. <laughs> so so it, it helps you. Yeah, it gives you a different perspective, like you said, on you're going to lose a lot of points when you're out there, but that's okay as long as you're getting to that that 55 number. You're you're probably going to win the match. And do you have any favorite drills for improving volleys? Yes, it's the most simple drill in the world, and I don't know why more coaches don't do it. But I I saw Elise Mertens and Chase Way doing this. At Indian Wells, I think it was 2021. I think it was the year they did it in October. The coach is standing in the returner's position, and Shea was standing as the server's partner. This was in the ad court. So, so the coach is standing, returning in the ad court. Shea is standing in the deuce court, looking at the coach down the line. And she's got kind of an aggressive server's partner position. So she's a little closer to that center line than she is to the the singles line. And the coach is just ripping balls at her. Just one after the other after the other. He feeds a ball every like two seconds. And she's just hitting these reaction volleys with targets. I don't actually, I don't remember if she had targets. I saw Wesley Kuhlhoff do this in Canada last year. And he had these lines down. But I like to set it up with targets that are very short 
on the singles line or in the doubles alley and you take every volley across your body. So if, if we're serving to the ad court and I'm standing there kind of moving towards the middle, the coach feeds it. If it's a backhand volley, it's going to my right. So it's going to be a short angle. If it's a forehand volley, it's going to my left. It's going to be a short angle to the deuce court. And if you can get just hit 50 or 100 of these or go for like two, three, four, five minutes, depend, depending on your fitness level, because it can get tiring. And if you do this once, twice a week, your volleys are going to improve at the net so much. And you're going to be able to help your partner hold their serve so much more easily because that return is going to come at you and you're just going to smack it away. And, and, and the key with that is hitting it across your body because it's going to create these angles that you didn't realize you could hit. So you really want to set, set up those targets closer. I like to set them up closer to the net than they are to the service line. So really, really close to the net. And it's okay if you miss a few, you're, but you're just trying to train your, your body to hit these really sharp angles that you see the pro level players hit all the time. And what about in a match? Do you, do you think is best? Cause I know at the pro level, like they stand pretty close to the net because they mm-hmm. can hit just so good. But you know, at a club level, I've heard some coaches kind of push their players to stay, to stand real close. But I think a lot of times they get burned by standing too close yeah. because they don't have the skills. What are your feelings yeah. where, where to stand, how close to stand? Yeah, I, I think I'm glad you mentioned that. Cause I, I feel like there are a lot of coaches who will say like, oh, you have to stand close to the net or you have to do this or you have to do that. And I, I feel like the answer is always, it depends. Like you said, it's going to depend on their skill level. So if, if the opponent is hitting the ball really hard and you don't have the skills to hit a good volley, you probably need to buy yourself more time. So you probably need to back up off of the net a little bit more. But if they're hitting the ball pretty soft and you're closer to the the service line or you're you know five, six feet off the net, if they're hitting it soft and the ball's dipping down at your feet, then you need to step forward and be closer to the net so the ball doesn't have time to dip down low. So it, it really, for me, it depends on matchups. And I think in general, closer to the net is better. But if the opponent's hitting the ball really hard and you're missing the volleys, you know, back up by yourself some time. Yeah, it depends on the on the situation. <laughs> mm-hmm. Definitely does. What about the t- tennis tribe? How did I all get started and how, how did it become what it is now? Yeah. So it started in 2016. Like I said, I I was in Austin, Texas at the time and I, I had learned how to build a website. So I built the website, started writing all these doubles lessons. And like I said earlier, players started asking or coming up to me at tournaments and saying that they found it really helpful. So from there, it kind of developed into the newsletter, the podcast, and then the double strategy services. And then I've also got the the other kind of side business, like I said earlier, where I spend maybe less than 5% of my time called Tennis Tribe Marketing, where I build websites. So it's, yeah, it's been a long journey. It's been a lot of fun, but it's all kind of the Tennis Tribe side. It's, it's all kind of a passion for doubles. And then I did start reviewing gear as well, which helps generate some income. And it's fun to, to review rackets and shoes and bags and all that sort of stuff too. So do you have any advice for coaches? Well, let's first, I guess, first let's go into on the court when coaching doubles. Any any maybe general advice for coaches? So the volley drill I talked about earlier, mm-hmm. I, th- I think that is something every single coach should be doing for their club level players if they were playing doubles. It's such a simple drill. And if they can do it for... 10 minutes at the beginning or the end of practice, their volleys are going to improve. A, I had a coach, Dan Kiernan on, he also has a podcast called Control the Controllables. That's a really good doubles podcast, but he, he coaches Lloyd Glasspool and Harry Heliovara, who are a top 10 doubles team on the ATP tour. And he said he has his club players do the same drill, but he'll have them stand on the net with their elbows over the net. So their Mm -hmm. elbows or over the net like this, and they have to just swat the ball away as it's coming at them. 
Sounds like you've done this before. I've done that one. Yes. That's a yeah. great one. Yeah. To, to yeah. keep you from swinging. Yeah. 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 To keep you from swinging and to get you comfortable just volleying across your body because there's a, a lot of a phrase that a lot of coaches say will is when you're at the net, you should volley at the other net player. But that's that's not always true. In a lot of scenarios, it's easy to hit a volley across your body back behind the baseline player. And it's away from both players. So they're neither of them are going to get to it. So why would I want to hit it at the other net player when I can hit it away from both players? Right. So to volleying across your body, I, I feel like is a general kind of easy go-to. And you can start, like it sounds like you do with some of your students with your elbows over the net, just to get used to hitting those volleys across your body like that. And I think that alone will just develop a lot of confidence from your players at the net. Um, and then from there, working on different serve formations is super valuable. It's not used nearly enough at the club level. It's a great way to hide weaknesses. So I hate hitting backhand ground strokes. So I like to run I or Australian formation in the ad court when I'm serving. And then I can shift to the deuce court and be hitting my forehand. So it makes it a lot easier. And then if my partner has a weak backhand volley, we've also just hidden their backhand volley and they have a forehand volley in the middle. So getting them used to different formations is super, super helpful as well. And then just thinking about like what types of shots do they need to be hitting in doubles and how can we implement that into practice? The lob return is one I've been working on a lot recently. And it's something I don't think I've ever seen a coach have their student practice on the practice court. Um, so if you can set up a target, it's especially effective in the deuce court because the net, the server's partner has a backhand volley in the doubles alley. So even if you do leave it short, they're hitting a high backhand volley, which as you know, club level players just generally don't have. So, so if they practice these returns from the deuce court, setting up a target deep down the line and just practice that lob return, it can be a super, super effective return against especially a, a right-handed opponent. That's a good one. I'd like to do that. I like to practice a variety. I think you have to be more crafty in doubles because there's a lot going on. It's good to have all the skills, right? Have the slides, have the lob. And mm -hmm. a lot of times I spend so much time, believe it or not. And, it, and this, you know, is because I'm working at a country club right now. But I spent so much time trying to convince women to use a continental grip on their volleys. It's insane. Oh, <laughs> so, wow. And, and you'd be surprised. Some of them I like actually get to be pretty decent at the net somehow mm -hmm. with like a semi-Western grip. Yeah, and I've seen it. Yeah. <laughs> I'm just like mind blown. Like, how are they even doing that? But yeah. Anyway. Does what, the elbow what, does the elbow over the net drill help with that a little bit? Like if you can have their elbows over the net and you feed just right at them, I feel yeah. like they'd almost have to have a continental grip to to swat well, the, the ball. The thing away. is that when they go with a semi western grip, they go with the racket straight up, like the tip straight up, the tip of the racket straight up, like that. Uh -huh. so that's how uh, they lock it. It's not pretty. <laughs> they don't, there's like no tilt to the racket, you know? So I see. it's, yeah, it's really tricky. And it's, it's hard sometimes because sometimes like they're not convinced. Yeah. I've been doing it that way for so long. It's like, why change it now? But it's like, oh, but your volleys could be so much better if you just spend like a month working on this. Yeah. <laughs> do it. Have um, you tried those grip trainers, like the continental grip trainers? I use the on court, off court has a, yeah, yeah. A little grip thing. It's like a Velcro that has a, a thing that sticks out and you just place. That, Actually, that, that is really helpful. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I found that helpful as well. That is really good. But obviously, once you incorporate any ground stroke, you have to take it off. But it's good yeah. to get a feel for it and mm -hmm. they can practice it. So yeah. I, I like using it. Mm -hmm. um, and also, like, it helps keeping the, I call it the peace sign fingers, right, on the grip, keeping mm -hmm. the fingers up a little bit higher. Sure. Like they'll hold it like almost like a fist on the grip. Right. So yeah, that, yeah, yeah. that helps with that too. It's, the, it's really nice. Mm -hmm. um, what about any other advice for coaches now more in terms of online marketing and how you've been able to grow your business? Coaches, a lot of the times they're not, they don't have an online service. They'll work for a club, mm -hmm. but I think 
you know, if you can create something that that's going to stay with you no matter no matter what, I think, you know, it's yeah. to have. So any advice that you can share? Yeah, so this is going to kind of depend on the market, but if you're in a, a generally big market, you know, a city of, you know, a few hundred thousand or more, one thing you can do, if, if you can control your website, like if you can make adjustments to it, I know a lot of listeners are probably working for a club where like they have to go through all this red tape to make changes. But the first key with your website is just to make it super easy for the potential customer to contact you. That's something, it sounds simple, but a lot of websites miss this. They don't have their phone number in a very prominent place. It's not easy to find. It's not easy to fill out a contact form. So there's three main ways that a a potential new student will contact you. It'll either be a phone call, filling out a contact form, or they'll just want to email you directly. So I would have all three of those easily accessible on the website. If you don't have any testimonials, I would get some testimonials on the website as well. So get some of your students who've been with you a while and just video is best, but a quote works fine as well. If they're willing to just write a short email about how you've helped them improve, that can be super effective. And then online reviews. So if you can set up a Google My Business profile and start getting good Google reviews, It'll help you to rank for terms when people, you know, move to your town and they search tennis lessons in Dallas or tennis lessons in New York or whatever it might be. Um, it, it'll help you, your website and your business to to rank for some of those terms. So those are three things that I would probably focus on to start making it a user-friendly, easy to contact website, getting some testimonials on the website, and then also getting uh, good reviews on on Google as well. Okay, thank you. That's great advice. And then I always ask this: Can you share with us your the Grand Slam moment of your tennis career and the double bagel moment of your tennis career? So the high and mm. the low. It could be coaching or it could be playing. Hmm. So when I first so when I first started meeting some some pro tennis players, doubles players specifically a lot of them play both i guess but when i first started meeting some of them and and started diving into the data i was offering my services for free i was saying you know i'll i'll give you a scouting report on this team based on all the data and all the video i have and i had to do it for free because i had no background right nobody knew who i was so at indian wells in i think this was 2021 it might have been 22 I had had Asia Muhammad on my podcast a few weeks or or a few months earlier and I emailed her and she was playing Coco golf and Katie McNally at Indian Wells the next day. I think it was like the quarterfinals or round of 16. And I emailed her a few days before and said, Hey, I'm here at Indian Wells. I have a scouting report on Coco and Katie if you want it. And she replied and told me, sure, I'm happy to take a look at it. So I sent it over to her and they used it and they they were underdogs in the match. And it was the first time that I, and I actually got to go to the match. It was the first time I actually got to see the strategies at the pro level, you know, at the highest level of our sport being implemented and work. And on all of the big points, they did a particular thing that I'm, I don't want to share here because I don't want to <laughs> um, share Coco's weakness, but it, they did a particular thing that I told them to do. And it worked on, I don't know, something like four out of six points or something. And they won. A lot of those are no ad points. So it was, it was a really cool moment for me because I, I saw it working really well. And I was like, okay, I can, I can make a living doing this. Like I can t- turn this into something and this is really, you know, really valuable for, for these doubles players. So that's probably my grand slam moment. Double bagel moment. There's a time when I was a junior. So I I grew up playing on green clay, but I hated green clay. Mm-hmm. So our the club I played at had four green clay courts and then two indoor hard courts. And I much preferred the indoor hard, but you know, the, the indoor was more expensive to play on. Sometimes it was booked, whatever. Um, 
And we had, there was a player who was in the clinics with me and took lessons with me. And I beat him every time we played. He, he was, I considered myself at the time, like a different, you know, higher level than him. And I played him in a tournament and it was on clay and he beat me. I don't remember what the score was. It had to be like a close third set or something. And I remember I was so upset. I was only probably 12 years old at the time. And I, I didn't have the best attitude when I was younger, <laughs> but that's the first thing that comes to mind. It was, it was just, at the time, I considered it just an awful lot loss, and I probably broke a racket during it because I, I definitely did that when I was a junior. You know, I, I was not proud of it, but uh, yeah, that's probably my biggest double bagel moment. It must be since you remember <laughs> it from, from twelve years old. And when you did, you play yeah. a lot of doubles in college as well. I did. You, you did. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. So our our coach was actually on the tour. He was top. Oh. I think he reached like top sixty in doubles. So he, he played some of the grand slams, but he, he didn't really make super deep runs, but he was obviously a super good player. So he played doubles with us some a lot. And then, like I said earlier, it, it division three doubles is worth three points instead of one. So we focused on it a bit more in college, but I, I didn't really understand it at a deep, deep level until probably the last five to seven years, because the the school I was at was D1 the year before I got there. They dropped to D3. So the coach didn't really get into a lot of strategy stuff with us at the time. And Will, how can people find you if they want to reach out to you, if any coach is listening and, and wants to learn more about doubles or what you're doing? What's yeah. Um, yeah, so they can email me, will at thetennistribe.com. And then my website is thetennistribe.com. The name of the podcast is the Doubles Only Tennis Podcast. We're on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, all the social platforms, it. YouTube. You have some great, yeah. uh, some great guests on your podcast. Some big, big names. So yeah, yeah, there's some good episodes awesome. on there. Yeah, it's a lot. It's a lot of fun. It's a lot of fun, and yeah, I'm glad you're you're doing this podcast too. I mean, it's podcasting such a great platform to interview people, get to know people and and get messages out there. So congrats to you on starting this. I know it's a lot of work, but I find it's definitely worth it. It is. I'm having fun doing this. It's, it's mm-hmm. really, really good. Really nice. Well, thank you so much, Will. We'll talk to you soon. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening to Vita Tennis. To learn more about Will, check out the show notes with all the links. We have had some amazing episodes so far that I hope you had the chance to listen to. So make sure to go back and check those out when you have the time. Remember to check out our website at vitatennispodcast.com. And if you would like to reach out to me, simply email me at vitatennispodcast at gmail.com. We're also on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube. I really hope you're having the best summer ever. See you next week.